Welcome to The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, produced by the Capital Times. I am Lindsay Christians, Capital Times food writer, and I spent the last several months researching and reporting our March 14th cover story on the Me Too movement and how it's affected sexual harassment in Madison restaurants. Pretty much everybody who's worked in the hospitality industry in some capacity can tell you a story or two about this, from unwelcome comments to much worse. In light of Me Too, we decided to look into that, and I spent many hours talking with cooks and bartenders and waiters about what the culture is like and how it might slowly be changing. My editor, Rob Thomas, worked with me on this story, and this week, as a bonus episode, we decided to flip chairs and just chat a little bit about what it was like to report this piece and why it was so important to get it right. Give a listen. So this week on the podcast, I wanted to talk a little bit about how I reported the most recent cover story about sexual harassment in restaurants. And so I invited my editor, Rob Thomas, here with me Hello. to just chat a little bit about the process of the story. So we're going to kind of turn the tables here. Yeah. I mean, I hope everybody out there has read it. Uh, it's online at captimes.com. And it's in if you're in Madison or get the State Journal, it's, it's our cover story. Uh, it's called Off the Menu. And it's about sexual harassment and assault in um, Madison's restaurant industry, uh, which has been a longstanding problem. And uh, with the Me Too movement last year, I think finally some light has been shined on it. Um, even with that, though, I mean, this was a long process for you to, to report this story. So I guess maybe we should start by how did you decide you wanted to write this story? I had been reading a lot as the stories broke last fall and winter. I first heard about the New Orleans Times Picayune story about John Besh and the allegations of sexual assault in his sort of restaurant empire in New Orleans back in October. And that was a Brett Anderson story that came out in the fall. And I listened to a lot of food podcasts, which will shock you, I'm sure. And I was listening to an interview with Brett, and he is a restaurant critic in New Orleans. And I had always thought that a story like this, like the the story that we just published, would not be my area because I'm a features writer and I write, uh, you know, restaurant reviews and I write fun stories about cool things that are happening and I, you know, hopefully tell you where to get good cocktails and you know, have what pasta class is like. Well, to give you credit though, you've written some serious stories on the food industry and food in Madison as well. This is probably the most serious you've written that I can think of offhand. But you're not doing yeah, I ate that. Let's say that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You're, doing, you're doing serious <laughs> subs of cover, coverage of the food scene, which includes those fun stuff, but also more serious stuff. But, but as you say, this is another level. It is. And you're right. I have done more serious things, but Brett kind of talked about it. I think it was an interview with uh, Evan Kleiman or Francis Lamb, uh, either on Good Food or The Splendid Table. I can't remember which one. But he talked about how you know he hadn't really thought this was his purview. It took him about eight months to report that story. Yeah. And it was a huge, huge story. It had incredible ripple effects all over the industry. Um, and then it wasn't until, I think, the news about Mario Batali broke in December that I actually started actively reporting it in Madison. So um – you know a lot of people in the Madison restaurant scene at all levels. So 
I would assume when you start seeing these stories coming out, like you knew there were stories like this to be told in Madison. Yeah. The challenge, right, is that they're all anecdotal, off the record. These are things that people tend to keep quiet. Um, even if they're completely not at fault uh, in a situation, uh, uh, usually victims or people who this has happened to, you know, they, they don't necessarily want to talk about it, either because they feel like they don't deserve to, like worse things have happened to other people, or because they're worried about their job and they're worried about repercussions. So I knew that sourcing was going to be really tough, that even though I'd heard some of these stories, it was going to be really hard to get people to go on the record with right. them. Right. I mean, you're talking about a fairly insular community within a fairly small town, period. So you've got both those things kind of working against the idea of getting people you know, on the record in whatever capacity they're willing to go. Right, because no one wants to be seen as a, a problem or a troublemaker uh-huh. or more trouble than you're worth, you know? And so, and also there's this idea that you just got to suck it up. It's just part of the industry. It's part of what I have to do. And so why am I even complaining about it? You know, um, I was really encouraged as, you know, some of these women started to come forward um, to talk to me about these things. Some of them asked that I didn't use their names. Some of them, it was... It was okay, but then there were other things they wanted me to not to not mention or not say, and I had to really be careful about how I handled those sources. Right. Um, do you feel like uh, the Me Too movement? I don't know if it broke open the floodgates, but it but it made people feel a little more comfortable talking about these things and coming forward than they might have this time last year. I think that people are listening, and I think that. They thought, okay, if I had told the story a year ago, no one would care, no one would listen, it wouldn't matter. Because again, it's so pervasive. 90% of women in the restaurant industry say that they've experienced harassment. The, the highest customers, pers- co-workers, yes, customers, coworkers, supervisors, yeah. And it's, it's just incredible, um, just the sheer number. And so it's, but it's like wallpaper, it's like water, it's everywhere. And so I think that what the Me Too movement did was not sort of change what was actually happening, right. but it changed the conversation around it in that that conversation could happen more in the open than it had before. So how long did you work on the story? Can you talk a little bit about how it came together and maybe what you know, surprised you along the way? Uh, I started working on it um, sort of slowly in December, as I said, after the Mario Batali news broke. I started reaching out kind of privately to people that I knew who were in the industry, uh, people who I had worked with in a cafe setting um, locally, people who I had met through grad school. So I just sort of started talking to people quietly uh, about that, who I knew already. Because if you think about it, pretty much everybody you know has worked at some point in the restaurant industry. Right. <laughs> um, and after I did that for about three, four weeks, there were the holidays in there too. Um, in January, I put out a public call on Facebook and I said, FYI, Madison, I'm doing the story. If you've got a story to share with me, Madison's not immune. Let's talk about this openly. And I tried to be really clear in that post that I wasn't necessarily going to ask for names, but that I would appreciate them. Right, because when you put your name on something, it's stronger. The story right. is often stronger. Um, and I also said, you know, we don't want to endanger your job. But I also made it clear, like, if there are places that are doing it really well, for example, Morris Ramen has been really 
out front, like proactive about this. And these are really hard conversations to have. But Francesca and Matt are both restaurant veterans, and they're both, you know, very interested in pushing the conversation forward and being proactive. And so I said, we're also interested in places where things are going well. Like if you reported something and it was handled well and you're happy with it, that's a story I also want to hear. So that was January, and I kind of – the first few days after that went out, I it was just on all, all fronts. Yeah. I got text messages and Facebook messages and emails. All kinds of contacts came out of that as well. Um, I mean, do you want to talk all about, like, how taxing it was to, to talk to these women and get these stories? I mean – it, you know, it, it, you know. Certainly, if you read it, uh, it's you know, it's quite a lot. A lot of these really hit home, I think, for any reader. But you know, I feel like I said, "I am so sorry that happened to you," all the time. I was saying that all the time. I am so sorry that happened to you. And what's interesting is that if you have something happen to you in your workplace, if you're in a restaurant and someone harasses you or assaults you, and you go to your manager, and you report it. Your manager is not supposed to say, I am so sorry that happened to you, because that empathy, which is the instinct, is not good for you legally if you're a restaurant. So there was something that felt like validating and important for me as you know the person receiving the story to say, I am so sorry that happened to you, and to say immediately, like, I believe you. Yeah. And I really, I mean, the the woman who was in the story, who was the lead, um, Maria, she she reported what happened to her, and the people in the kitchen where she worked didn't believe her. And it's infuriating to sit and listen to that story. We sat in a coffee shop downtown, and she cried, and I cried, and we just sort of, and I was so angry for her, and I and I felt very helpless. But one of the amazing things about writing the story is that it made me start to feel less helpless because I also talked to people like Tammy Lax who were like, no tolerance for any of this crap. Right. Like, you were out of my restaurant immediately, you know, just no tolerance. People like, you know, Francesca and, and Sylvia over at Morris Robin and, um, you know, who are being really active about saying, not in my house. And we're going to change this conversation. This is not going to be acceptable here. And it's just, you know, no tolerance. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, like if you'd written this story a while ago, I mean, you would have gotten the stories, but at least now you have like, you know, because we're not just talking about a few bad apples. There's a culture involved here, and you're as much as you're writing about these women, you're also writing about the culture and how the culture is finally changing, which is a very positive thing, even though these are some very hard stories, right? So there's, I mean, there's a balance there, and there's a a slow but definite forward trajectory, I guess. Absolutely. One of the things that I heard sort of in the course of reporting this is that, you know, it, it, it's not all men. It's not all kitchens. Um, it's not all anybody, really. But also, like, you can't – just because someone says something, it doesn't mean they're a terrible person who is beyond redemption, mm-hmm. you know, who does something that they shouldn't have – or sees, says something they shouldn't have said or, you know, does something they shouldn't have done. Uh, we all make mistakes. There's there's a kind of family protection that happens in in this industry, I mm-hmm. think. And I and I thought it was encouraging to see that you know there's there's not just this sort of sum- summary like we're going to kick you out forever, um, but there is an interest now I think in changing the culture. And uh, Francesca said that she'll she'll hear her cooks like make a comment and then say, oh, 
I shouldn't have said that. Like correct themselves okay. kind of in the moment. Right. Which I think is it's great, but it's a, it's that that's the difference. It's the awareness of it. Yeah. Of like, oh, wait, maybe that wasn't appropriate. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. And that is encouraging. So what has the reaction been since the piece came out? Incredibly supportive. The response has been overwhelmingly positive. Maria did talk with me after the story came oh, out. Yeah. And she said that she felt squirmy the first few times that she read it. And she said, but it, I really think, she said, I thought it was, you know, it's kind of about the spotlight, being in the spotlight, which she's not really used to. And I said, yeah, I, I thought you might feel that. Um, and I just want to say thanks, thank you again for your bravery and for your honesty and for your, you know, your willingness to come forward. It's very humbling that, like, some of these women were willing to sort of put their names on these things that happened to them and say, I'm not going to stand for it. This is not okay. Yeah. Um, and, a, and a big response, which is good. Um, the thing that surprised me is how many people were surprised. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, inside or outside the industry? Outside. Okay. Not inside. Right, no. right. Um, but people who are not in the industry. Um, my, my mom wrote to me and said some of the perpetrators sound like surgeons because my mom's been a surgical nurse for more than 40 years. Right. And she said that's – it's every industry. Right. <clears throat> and they sound like Hollywood producers and pro athletes and probably – you know, store managers. I mean, it's it's like you say, it's every industry. Politicians. Right. Not politicians. Really. Oh. <laughs> so, well, Lindsay, thanks for doing the story. I think <clears throat> I'm glad it's getting the reaction that it deserves. It was, uh, it was a pleasure to edit it and work with you on it. And I, I feel, I feel good about that. I'm glad we did it. For sure. Uh, I don't anticipate it's the last story we'll write about this kind of thing. But for all that it was kind of an emotionally draining process. I'm really glad that we did it. So thank you. Thank you for editing the piece. Of course. This has been a bonus episode of The Corner Table, a Capital Times podcast about food and drink in Madison. I'm your host, Lindsay Christians, and the music was composed by Patrick Christians. Thanks to Rob Thomas for being on the podcast this week, and we'll see you in about a week. Bye.